I have a word that I believe the Lord is speaking to us as a church, and um, I'm going to be talking to you tonight about taking control. Taking control. Say taking control. Okay, guess what? You guys all gave up control by doing exactly what I told you to do. (laughs) I didn't see that coming, did you? I didn't either. I just made it up as I went. Um, You know, I believe that most people have this desire or this preference of being in control. Okay, maybe show hands. If if you had the option of being in control or out of control, how many of you would rather be in control? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So it's a little mix. Jimmy's like, I don't want any control. Um, that's why he drives a Chevy. I mean, they're all over the road. Um, sorry. I got to, every time I can, I got to do it. You know that, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so as we talk about taking control, um, I am I am someone that I have this struggle. Like I like to be in control. I like to be in control of everything that's going on. And when things go out of control, the my my natural instinct is to step in and get it in control. It doesn't matter if it's in my wheelhouse, if it's someone else's wheelhouse, if it's if it's not my responsibility or not. I have this natural instinct that literally if something is out of control, I just want to go fix it. And Bethany has to tell me all the time, stop. Like, you don't have time to go fix that problem or you don't have time to go. And, I, and I'll be like, well, I could if I did this and I did that. And she's like, no, just stop. Like, seriously. And so I have this natural instinct of wanting to always be in control. Now, I'll tell you that I didn't know that I was wired this way till Bethany and I I believe we were seniors in high school when I figured this out, okay? Um, so um, let, let me tell you the story of how I, how I uh, kind of learned that I have control issues maybe. Um, so Bethany and I were going to prom together. Um, uh, I convinced her to go with me two years in a row, bazinga. Um, and so we're, we're going to prom together, and after prom is this great experience uh, it's an experience um, where they have some sort of event after the prom. That's kind of how they decided on after prom. That's why they don't call it before prom. Okay. So after prom, um, but this was a really weird after prom because it wasn't right after prom. It was like a day after prom. I think it was. I think it was the next day. It was because the school had lined up for us to go to Kings Island after prom. And so it was like 12 hours after prom or something like that. I don't remember what it was. Sean probably complained about it, if I remember correctly. Um, so, so after prom was at Kings Island. Now, those of you that know Bethany know that Mike lived and worked at Kings Island for, I don't know, 30-some years, right? Um, I, I didn't really hang out at Kings Island. Wasn't really kind of a place that I hung out. Just wasn't interested. They didn't have any wood to chop at Kings Island, so I didn't really, I didn't know what to do, right? No lumberjack things to do there. And so um, after prom, I have to go, right? Like I have to go, I have to take her to Kings Island, first off, because it's kind of like my responsibility if I'm going to keep this streak up with two years in a row. Um, I kind of got to do the manly thing and take her to after prom. So I I take her to after prom, and uh, the first roller coaster that I ever rode, okay, I had not rode roller coasters to this point in my life wasn't a thing. wasn't on my life. It wasn't on my bucket list. And Bethany, luckily, she had tons of experience. And so she knew the exact roller coasters to take me to. Um, and so the first roller coaster I ever really rode was the Beast, okay? That was the first. It was like, this is, you know, my daddy, like, practically built this. Like, it's the smoothest. It's like, it's all this great, and all these great things about the Beast, and then I wrote it. 
And I realized in that moment, I have some serious control issues because I couldn't control the speed. I couldn't control the direction. I couldn't control, I couldn't control the tilt of what was happening on that ride. And all I remember is that deep down inside, something in my spirit was saying, get off of this thing quick after it stops, right? After it stops. Like I didn't want to get off quick while it was going. And so like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got some um, issues because now I'm begging and pleading with her. Please do not. I mean, to the point of tears, okay? Please do not make me ride another roller coaster. And she is furious, okay? She, she is like, we came here to ride roller coaster. What do you mean? What are we going to do if we don't ride roller I'll win you prizes. I don't know. Anything else. Like, please give me some way of escape here. And she finally, she's finally like, you have to ride one more, and that's it. One more, just just give it one more chance. One more chance. And so I'm like, okay, one more chance. That's it. That's it. And so we stand in this line that is like, it is ginormous. It is huge. And so I figure it's got to be the slowest ride, right, because it takes so long to do or whatever it is. And as we start getting closer, it's we're outside. We're outside, and then eventually we go into this building. And when we pass into the building, she looks at me, she says, do me a favor, just keep looking at me. And I was like, why? She's like, just don't watch the roller coaster, okay? Don't watch it start. And of course, what do I do? I look straight at the roller, and it's like, mm, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is, no. She didn't, I don't think she understood the first half of my conversation where I was terrified out of my face. Um, and so I guess this was called Outer Limits. Is that what it was called at the time? Okay, whatever it is, it's this horrific creature that they put you into a pole barn and they build the whole roller coaster inside of this pole barn, okay? And so you're standing in the lights and it's cool. I mean, I guess, whatever, while you're standing there, that was the funnest part was actually just standing. Um, and then when you get down in it, it shoots you from like zero to 60 in like I don't know, zero seconds, okay? Uh, it's that fast. All of a sudden, zero to 60. And when you go through the tunnel, it's just a pitch black pole barn. There's, it's just darkness and roller coaster, I guess, in there. I didn't see what was in there, except for me losing my mind and a camera flashing every now and then to take my picture because I was losing my mind. At this point, I am weeping like a child, okay? <laughs> I'm ter- absolutely terrified. And so it was in that moment that I was like, okay, I was already worried about not having control of, of the, the coaster and the speed and the direction. Now I have no control of sight because I, I can't see anything, okay? And at that point, I was like, I have some serious, serious control issues. And so as I think about control and taking control, marriage is one of those environments that there is this constant rub for control, Right? Right? Does anyone anyone ever experience that? Bethany doesn't. Um, so, <laughs> so when you when you talk about control, um, there are many struggles in marriage that really come down to the idea of who is going to win with the control baton at the end of the argument, right? Who's going to end up calling the final shot or making the final decision or whatever it was? And <laughs> while that is a great environment to talk about taking control, I'm not going to talk about that tonight. Okay. I want to talk to you tonight about taking control of your own walk with Christ, your own walk with God, and actually taking control of that experience. 
Bethany, when we were um, going through the church planning process before the church had ever launched, Bethany had this dream one night. And what was happening in the dream is people were walking into uh, this church. And as they would get up to the church, they would, uh, um, right at the end of, of service, what they would do is they would take their Bibles and they would bring their Bibles up to the pulpit and they would lay them on the pulpit and then they would walk out the door and go back to their life. They would come in, <clears throat> drop their Bibles at the pulpit, and then walk out and leave without their Bibles. And when God really gave this visual to her, we prayed about this and we really felt like what God was speaking to us in that moment was that we wanted to create a place where it wasn't about us doing everything for you, right? That it, was, it wasn't about what, um, not that we don't want to serve you. I think you guys know our heart with that. But that at the end of the day, if we create an environment where you just come be fed, but nothing ever actually produces from your life outside of this building, we have failed, right? As a servantship team, we would look at ourselves and say, we failed. And in this, in this vision that, that Bethany had, we just mounds of Bibles and this pastor up here just collecting these Bibles. And I would tell you that a lot of times churches are completely fine with that and they can, they can handle that experience and walk away and be fine. Bethany and I, it makes us sick at night to think about those types of experiences. Because it's not our job to, 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 to solely pat you on the back and solely comfort you in those times, but it is our job to ultimately equip you to walk this out every single day of your life. That's not possible if you don't ever participate in the process and you actually take control of your walk with Christ. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 10. And there's a couple of things that I felt like God wanted me to lay out here and just kind of uh, build upon as we talk about taking control of your walk with Christ and what that really means. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10 say this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all, say all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, so to get this discussion going, there are a couple of important things that I, I think we need to recognize in this passage. Who must appear before the judgment seat of Christ? All. All. Every single one. Not a one of us is, is exempt from that. In verse 10, it goes on to not just say that, but to say that each one... Right, So that each one may receive what is due, what they have done in the body, whether it is good or evil. This is an important process to understand because there's not a single person in this room who is responsible for mine process, for my body. Bethany, as, as influential as she may be in my life, at the end of the day, when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I don't have the opportunity to look at him and say, but Bethany really wanted me to do that, right? 
I don't have the flexibility to lean on that because at the end of the day, what it says is that it's done so that each one, that is, listen, we, we live in a society, in a world that is all about individuality, about being yourself and experiencing that. But when we get to the things of God, what we want to do is we want to kind of piggyback off of someone else's experience to kind of slide into heaven, right? Slide into our relationship with him. And see, if we, if we can get this right, if we do what is in verse 9, right? Verse 9 says this, that um, uh, it says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. See, if we're honest with ourselves, there are many things that we would change about our own lives if we evaluated them under that concept of my life is designed to do one thing, please him. All I want to do is I want to aim to please him. Now, listen, what I like about this passage is I like how it says we make it our aim to please him, okay? And I think that's an important thing to think about because a lot of times in life, people get caught up because they fail him in their eyes. They make a mistake. They make a decision that they shouldn't have made. They go a place that they shouldn't have been. They find themselves in situations that they never should have found themselves in. And they look at those so often and they just decide, I'm not good enough. But see, in 2 Corinthians, it tells, it, it tells us here that we are making it our aim to please him. Now, does that mean that you're going to strike bullseye every single time? No. I've told you guys that in my life, I live to do one thing. Make sure I don't have any was going to fence, right? I've told you that many, many times. I don't want any was going to fence. I've told Bethany that in my life, I will, do, um, I will have no problem in making sure that at the end of my life, I have plenty of things to say. I wish I wouldn't have done that, <laughs> right? But I don't want to ever have to say to her, I wish I would have done that. Right? And that, that's, that's my life. Well, if I, if I am aiming to please him, if I'm, if I'm constantly going after God and I'm constantly trying to find his will and I'm constantly trying, guess what? Most of the time I'm going to find out some of the crud and the stuff that's going on in my life that I need to cut out. It becomes easier to cut out because my aim is solely to please him. The problem is we're glossing over this reality in the church that literally we are going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. What it's doing is it's creating an environment of complacency. Because we want to talk about getting to heaven. We want to talk about the pearly gates. We want to talk about the streets of gold. We want to talk about praising his holy name. But we, would, we, but we don't want to talk about that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And allowing others to jump onto some other association or work of someone else. Listen, what it is doing is it's not allowing you to take control of your actual walk. You're placing your, your, your uh, um, confidence in some other ministry, some other person, some other being, whatever it may be. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. This scripture is really where my head was at as, as I began putting this together. Because there's a, there's a charge in here that comes, right? Philippians 2, 12 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's, 
you look at that, right? You look at, at, at verse 12 there, if you can flip back here. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. This is, when I think about working on something, I think about putting something in my hands, right? I think about grabbing a tool, grabbing a, a hatchet, an axe, or whatever it is, right? I think about actually putting my hands to work. But in it, when you put work in it, it requires effort, right? It requires energy. It requires thoughts and planning and all of these different things. When you decide to work out your own salvation, and too often we're guilty of not ever doing this whole work out your own process, right? We want to lean on someone else. And I believe that what we're finding is there's this thing that is crippling the church, and it is the designation of the reins, okay? Now, this is going to seem weird, but go with me here for a little bit. The designation of the reins, R-E-I-N-S, okay? And so um, to illustrate this, I actually have some reins here believe it or not. Um, Tiff was able to bail me out and got these uh, reins for me. And she knew that I was going to ask her to stand up here and bite on this so I could show everyone, uh, but she left. Uh, <laughs> she knew that was coming. I want to talk to you about reins, okay? And reins are something that um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I know how I landed on this, okay? This is weird, but um, we've told you that, uh, that Bethany and I have kind of gotten into this habit with our kids that we're watching Little House on the Prairie, okay? Y'all, half of you is like, seriously? And um, it's really a great show, to be quite honest with you. Little House on the Prairie is where it's at, people. Uh, Amazon Prime's got it, so it's got to be good, right? So, um, one, but there's something that I've noticed every time that I've watched this show. Um, all of these people, they don't have any Fords, Jimmy, okay? It's a big problem. It's a big problem for the community of, what's in the, I can't remember the name. I, Walnut Grove, okay? They don't have any Fords, okay? So they all ride on horses. But I notice every single time they go to get on a horse, every time they go to get on a wagon, the first thing they do is they get the reins in their hand before they climb up on the horse. Every single time. They grab it early before they ever get up on top of it. And I began thinking about the, the reason that matters, right? Like I began thinking, why, why? And yes, I look at some of the weirdest things in shows and I get caught up and then I start Googling why um, do people, do, I do this stuff, okay? I can't help it. Bethany thinks I'm like surfing the web all the time in my life. I'm trying to learn, okay? Um, in case I'm ever in a wild situation where there's a stallion there with reins that I need to jump on, right? It's kind of a plan I have. I don't know. Um, so, so every single time they grab the reins before they jump on. Every single time. And I began researching, and so I started watching YouTube videos about how to hold reins and why, what the, the purpose of reins and, um, and how, you can put, um, how you can hold it this way to, uh, to give more flexibility so that you can reach the rein easier, so you can shorten the rein when you need to. Like all these different things. And I'm sitting here watching the videos, and literally in my mind, I'm asking myself, why are you watching this, right? Like, why are you watching a five-minute 4-H video about proper holding rein techniques on YouTube, it actually had lots of good likes, okay? So it was a pretty good video, I'm just going to tell you. Entertaining, not quite, uh, but it kind of gave the point. But the problem that I began thinking about 
right? There, there's, this, there's this need to grab the reins because as many of you would probably have a feel, it gives them control right out of the gate, right? Um, as soon as they get on the horse, if something was to happen, they already have the reins in their hands so that they can begin to control and give direction to the horse. A lot of times in our lives, what we're guilty of doing is jumping on a horse and we have no control of any of the reins. And where I think it's becoming more, more troublesome for the church and for individuals is that we are giving the reins to somebody else. And so in this analogy, I'm going to tell you that the horse, let me, th- let me see if I can remember this right. The horse is your life, okay? The jockey is the will, right? Whatever the will is for your life, right? Because the jockey is controlling, right? From these reins, the jockey has the ability to control the direction of the horse, which is, in this story, your life, okay? What's happening is too many are coming to a church and they're going to a pastor or they're going to a leader and they're saying, hey, listen, I got all kinds of issues. I'm going to throw these reins at you, not the whole thing. And this is what we're doing. We're trying to get them to take the reins. We're trying to get them to influence every single decision that we make. We're trying to get them to tell us what's right, wrong, evil, whatever it is, right? And we're leaning on every purpose in our life by someone else. And can I tell you what, as good as that person may be, right, as good as an intention as they may have for your life, at the end of the day, you are completely out of control. That person doesn't necessarily, let go, um, (laughs) That person doesn't necessarily have to always be someone that's in the church, right? You may be giving it to your work. You may be giving it, I got to be careful how I say this. Um, You may be giving it to your spouse, okay? I got to be careful the way I say that, okay? Because here's here's what's, what's happening too often is a lot of people are wanting everyone else to take control of their relationship with Jesus, They're wanting everyone else to tell them how to do it, what to believe, when to believe. There are too many people that want to know what my stance is on something so they can determine whether they want to agree with my stance or not. And often what I'll tell them, all I can tell you is what the word of God says, right? I don't get, in this world, I don't get an opinion when it comes to the things of the word. I get understanding, And see, when we allow ourselves to say, well, you know what? The opinion of this pastor or the opinion of this person means a lot to me. Well, let me explain something to you. If that opinion is contrary to what the understanding of the word says, it doesn't matter what they think. There are too many people that are allowing themselves to succumb to these ideas and these concepts because at the end of the day, they don't have hold of their reins. They've given it to someone else. They've allowed someone else to drive this experience. And let me explain something to you. And I I know I've said this a million times and I'll continue to say it. Your salvation is not mine to manage. Your walk with Christ is not, it's not mine and it's not anyone else's to manage. My salvation is not Bethany's to manage. And Bethany's experience with Christ is not mine to manage. 
None of that is the case. And what we're doing is we are running to people, we're running to pastors, we're running to places, we're running to jobs, and we're forsaking the fact that there is power in a broken heart who still holds on to the reins and says, you know what, I don't know what's going on with my will right now. I don't know what's going on with my life right now. I don't know the direction that you're sending me on, God. But God, I'm going to hold on with everything that I possibly can, and I'm going to trust you in it. I'm not going to just relinquish my reins over to someone else because I think they might know better than I do. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that there's a problem with wise counsel, okay? Right? I'm not saying that there's a problem with wise counsel. There are many times that I, see, that I seek out wisdom and I seek out understanding. And, but you know what? I balance it up against the word of God and I balance it up against the, the will of God for my life. Because let me tell you, my purposes are different than your purposes, and so if you look at every single thing under the umbrella of what I've experienced or what I know, that's, that's not right. See, we keep handing these reins over to someone else. And listen, you, you just want to hand it over and say, hey, you tell me what to do, right? But at the end of the day, you know what happens when that goes wrong? If, if I take this, if, if, I, if I give, if Jimmy gives this to me, right? Jimmy says, Tom, I just, I need you to tell me what to do in this situation. I need you to tell me how to handle it. I need you to tell me how to fix it. I need you, I need you to tell me exactly what to do play by play because at the end of the day, I can't, I, I just, I can't do it. I need you to do it. What happens is if he takes my advice and it blows up in his face, you know who he's mad at? Me. Hmm. Right? He's like, I knew I shouldn't have listened to Tom, that Ford driver. <laughs> I knew better than that. I knew better than that, Right? And this is how people leave and people get angry is because at the end of the day, we're letting someone else try to control the reins of our life. And we're not consulting with God about what God wants to do and where God wants to lead us. And what happens is we find ourselves constantly letting go of control. Letting go of control. And so when I think about reins, right, I think about the process of, of, of holding on to those. I think about the importance that it takes for every single one of us to actually start taking a hold of our relationship with Jesus, right? That we begin to take hold of these things that God has called for us. Because we're losing the fact that there is power in a praying tongue, we are losing the fact that there is power in a repentant spirit, guys. That we don't want to go to God anymore about our broken situation. We want to go to someone else. We want someone else to tell us how to fix it as opposed to just going straight to God and saying, God, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I can't understand. I keep experiencing these things and I don't know why I'm experiencing them. Listen, I go to God all the time and I say, what? It's okay to do that. It's great to do that. And in marriage, what happens so often, and, and I, I've seen this, I've seen it go both ways, but typically what happens, it is the man handing over the spiritual reins to the wife and saying, you just do the whole church thing. I'll just, I'll do whatever you need me to, right? Or, or outside of that, maybe, maybe they're not necessarily doing that, but they're saying, hey, listen, um, you, just, you, just, you can just go to church and just pray for me, you know? Just maybe throw up a couple, couple prayers to the big man for me. But we don't engage in the process. And that's not what God's called us to. Listen, the brokenness that many men experience is because God is not allowed to work in their lives the way that God is intended to. We need to allow him to, to really encounter us in our lives. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. 
Luke chapter 6, I believe, highlights an incredibly important part of this process. And I believe it helps to edify the reason why you need to take the reins. You need to begin yourself to say that you are going to take ownership for your own relationship with Jesus. See, because a lot of people, a lot of people still find themselves wanting to lean on mom or dad or pastor or youth pastor or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that those people don't have good intentions, but at the end of the day, we need to be led by the Spirit, guys. Luke 6, verses 46 through 49 says this. Why do you call me? Now, this is Jesus speaking. I want you to hear this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I just want, if we could just listen to that for a minute and allow that to sink in. Because when I read that, man, it like smacked me in the face. Not that I'm a, uh, this rebellious person maybe that's constantly going out and not doing what the Lord says. but And some of you are like, well, maybe the Lord's not speaking to me directly. Well, let me, let me explain something to you. This word is packed full of messages and interpretations for you <laughs> that if you get in and you receive it and you read it and you, and, and you allow it to be applied to your life, you're going to see all kinds of things that he's wanting to tell you for your life. But it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. We are looking at people in our own lives, people who have been active in the church, right? And I, and I, talk, I, I know I, a few weeks ago I talked about the church and us being the church but we're looking at people because they've cooked, because they've cleaned, because they've given, because they've been faithful. Maybe in attendance. <laughs> but when life became difficult, all of a sudden you found those same people that were just deserted God like that. And we become confused and we become, even, even sometimes, you know, our, our hearts are broken. And honestly, we begin to question within ourselves, why am I doing this? If that person who is always here who was always doing this, who was always, if that person specifically, right, if they can turn away from God, then why? Listen, that person had it together. That person had everything right in their life. They did every, they honored God. And for some reason they were able to go and just change and just decide not to follow God anymore. And see what happens is if we have allowed people like that to grab a hold of our reins, Listen, it, it makes it tough, man. It makes it tough to walk this out because we look, we, but, but the problem is, is we're so consumed looking at people. We're looking at individual experiences. We're looking at, we're looking at the horse in the story, right? And we're not looking at the will. We're not looking at the direction that it was being 
directed, right? We don't know where, where they were being led to. We don't know, and we don't know who they've allowed to get into their life. And the problem is, listen, I'm not talking about leaving a church. I'm talking about leaving God. That's because hearing the word and doing it is different than just hearing the word and baking a pie, right? We can get caught up thinking that someone is living a holy life because they bring food to a church function, <laughs> But if all we do is we bring food to a church function, but at the end of the day, we don't bring life to those around us, then we're missing it, guys. We're missing it. We're missing the whole experience that God intended for us. And a lot of times it's happened because instead of taking control of the life that God has given you, the purposes that he's knowing the fact that we're going to be before him, right? We're going to be before him. If we're not willing enough to take control then why would we expect anything differently? Why would we expect anything differently than this person who didn't do the work, right? This person hears the word and they do what the word says, right? And they lay the foundation and the house stands. But the people who hear only and they don't actually walk it out, they don't actually experience the life that God intended for them, what they find is they find an emptiness and a hollowness and a brokenness at the end of the day. And I believe that it's time for us to begin taking control of our relationship with Christ. That we stop handing the reins over to every single other person, every single other opinion. And it is not a problem to have people who, who are wise in your life that you can lean on, that you want to call when you have these times, okay? But the, it is a problem if you completely hand over your reins and you're never in control and you're never trusting God to lead you in it. Because it's your relationship with him. It's not my relationship with him that's going to lead you where God's intended you to be. It's not Bethany's relationship with him that's going to lead you. Are we going to pray for you? Are we going to love you? Yes, all of those things. But at the end of the day, your life is going to be led by the decisions that you make. And I believe that it is time for us to take control of the reins. If you would stand with me as we get ready to close here. I want you to I want you to know a couple of things. First off, um, as I talk about you taking control, okay, I'm not talking about taking control from God, okay? I'm not talking about you taking the reins from God and saying, you know what, God, I think there's a better path this way. I'm going to giddy on up this way. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? I'm talking about applying the word in your own life and taking control of what God wants you to do with it. Right? Too many people are sitting on the sidelines because they decided that it's just okay to hand the reins to someone else. You do the Jesus stuff, I'll do the this stuff, right? You did, listen, there's plenty of people at my work who will say to me, um, why don't you just pray about that? Cause, uh, or why don't you pray for me? You should probably pray for me because I'm pretty jacked up. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't have any special access to them. Like, you, you can pray too, you know. Um, and they're like, nah, it's all right. You should pray for me. <laughs> pray for me. And that's a, that's a common example of someone who doesn't take the reins of their own walk with Christ. And a lot of times in church, there's this big experience that has to happen every, every week that we call the altar call, 
right? Where people have to come forward and people have to receive prayer from a specific person so that they could go out that door and feel better than when they came in here. But what I'm telling you is at the end of the day, if you're trusting this person who's praying with you with the reins solely, and when you walk out there, no one's got the reins, you got a hot mess is what you got, right? That's not what God's intended for us. Every single one of us, listen, I spoke to you about us being the church individually, right? Every single one of us is the temple of God, and we need to walk that out in our lives. You can't walk out being the church if you can't recognize the fact that you are the temple of God and that God has designed for you to take the reins. If, if, you, if you think about church hierarchy, as a lot of people think of it, people think of the pastor as being, you know, the lead, right? At the end of the day, calling all the shots. Well, I want you to understand something very, very important. In your life, you are the lead. And you got to determine what are you following? Who are you being led by? 